Salutations, listeners. Uh, how's it going? It's going pretty good, uh, Mr. Collins. Is it going okay? Splendid. I don't know. The market's down today, and so, like, you know, you gotta sell uh, your stocks in Apple and Disney. Get out while the getting's good, folks. Smash uh, Mm -hmm. uh, coffee mugs with baseball Mm -hmm. bats. Anybody picking up these uh, Mm -hmm. Mad Money references here? Mm. Buy low. Sell high. Well, hello, listeners. Uh, Sivala Fivaleo. Vala Magulis. Nanu Nanu, as I've said before. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement. We are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark here. Timothy Magic. And uh, in this podcast, uh, we review movies and deliver to you, the listener, uh, an average smuck's opinion about the hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. Uh, in the show, we try to target movies that uh, may not be like blockbuster smashes, but they're also not so obscure that, you know, if you wanted to get your hands on a copy, you couldn't. Um, we try and aim for that sweet spot of movies that are uh, uh, really good, uh, but also uh, accessible. We try and target movies that hopefully you may not have heard of, uh, maybe you've seen but you forgot about, uh, and and we feel like they deserve another watch. Uh, we review these movies and then we deliver to you our take on whether or not you should spend the time to to hunt them down and go and watch them. Um, so with that being said, uh, this week we reviewed the movie The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc, and um, yeah, it was it was a movie and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to hit you with some some IMDb notes here. It was quite literally a movie and a, movie and a half. Mm. It was very long. <laughs> I think it's the longest one we've watched on the program so far. Definitely. Yeah. Two two hours and 28 minutes is the runtime on this bad boy. It's got to be the longest for sure. Uh, so, we, uh, so this movie, The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc, uh, this thing came out in 1999, and uh, IMDb has it as an adventure biography drama. I think that, I think that pegs that, it. That, yeah. Yeah, it hits all those notes, yeah. So, before, I, I'm going to go into the, the full IMDb description, but basically, if you're mm-hmm. listening, who knows if you're listening out there, but if you are, this is basically, this movie is sort of like Braveheart, but Joan of Arc instead of William Wallace. I know, I do hate... I, same, I do, same vibe. same like, vibe, and I do hate the uh, the negative reviews when there's like, well, this is just Lady Braveheart, and it's like, no, it's Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's just it's a in different that person. Yeah, it's in it's, that I, I, I say that in the style. sense that, like, it's a... It's mm-hmm. a biopic yeah of like a, a historical a figure fighting figure in like not so different of a time frame mm-hmm. and it's like it's a period piece i think it has more elements than braveheart mm-hmm. does uh but but anyway we'll, we'll get to that in a minute similar but different yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i was just trying to set us yes. set, set the scene for us yeah um this movie was directed by uh luke besson luke besson who you might know uh doing stuff like uh, the fifth element or uh Christ Metamorphosis, I believe, is also uh, one of his titles. Uh, lo- very stylish and very uh, keen with um, his elements of lighting, staging, and just shooting. Um, yeah, cinematography. You, yeah. you can't forget Christ Metamorphosis. That's, <laughs> that's good. It's a very, very popular flick. <laughs> uh, well, maybe we'll take on it next time. <laughs> Fifth Element, though. Touché I mean, that's that. that's next level awesome. <laughs> Um, he also actually wrote this uh, along yeah, oh, with yes. Andrew Birkin, who I'm I'm not particularly familiar with, but um, some of our some of our viewers may know that or, or listeners. Um, so some of the stars of this this amazing film, uh, Milly Jovovich, right out of the gate, she's she's our she's our mm-hmm. star. She plays Joan of Arc. Oh, you can't forget John Malkovich. John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Well, for uh, let me say, Milly Jovovich, you might also know for The Fifth Element. Yes. She plays a. Uh, uh, 
Lilu. Lilu. <laughs> in in the fifth element. Mm-hmm. She's also in uh Dazed and Confused. Oh yeah, just learned that actually recently. Yeah. I, I never picked out picked a, a up t- on it. A tiny little cult series uh called Resident Evil. Ooh. It's a little cult yeah. series. Yeah. Yeah. If I I mean I just a few movies in that series. Yeah. Some people love it. It's not the top of my <laughs> list, but it's the it's, first one's maybe it's, it's the first it's one's a it got progressively better. Those are progressively better. Every Resident Evil movie gets mm-hmm. better than the last mm-hmm. one there. I said it. All the best ones contain, you know, oh, Michelle Rodriguez. Well, <laughs> All the best ones. But, okay, so <laughs> next up we got Being John, or, uh, well, that, spoiler alert, John Malkovich. He's mm-hmm. the, the star of Being John Malkovich, and I think that might be the only movie he's ever been in. Yeah, no. I'm, the uh, only one. The title character, the titular character, and the, uh... <laughs> Oh, yeah, what else is... I mean, he certainly wasn't in Being Tom Hanks. Yeah, he, he, well, he, he mm. also was not in any movie that involved a color. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's for sure. Blue's mm. Clues? Out no. of the question. No, but seriously, um, I, I already mentioned Being John Malkovich. He was in uh, In the Line of Fire. This is at 93. Um, you know, Dangerous Liaisons. In Red. He <laughs> <laughs> <It> was. <laughs> he was in Red. He was also... Yeah, he's he's... John Malkovich is one of those guys, first of all, you probably know him, but if you don't, he's one of those splendid actors that, like, will pop up in the biggest blockbuster smash or the smallest independent film and just rock whatever he's in. It's it's really awesome. Uh, he was in, in uh, Becoming Kubrick, which mm. is an awesome film that we should definitely review sometime. Yeah, yeah very recently he did uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. That's oh, been yeah. getting some traction recently. Mm-hmm. But- I'm not familiar with that. What is that about? Oh, he plays Piers in that. It's a thriller set in a contemporary art world. Basically, it's about a rampaging, or, well, a, a serial killer who is also an art collector. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that, that actually just came out this year. Anyway, back to... Uh, uh, Faye Dunaway is mm-hmm. is in this movie. What has Faye done that we would know? A lot of older films, um, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, she's. you would know Faye if, if you saw her. Who who was Faye in this movie? Uh, she was uh, sorry. She was uh, John Malkovich plays the the Dauphin of France, which is like basically like you're gonna be king if we can ever get the English the hell out of France. <laughs> Gotta get the rights. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was his mother-in-law. Oh, okay. So here's something that I'm not particularly proud. I know Faye Dunaway from uh, Dunstan checks in. Y'all remember that film with Jason Alexander? Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. First of all, I love that movie for nostalgic reasons, mm. but um, she plays uh, the hotel owner's wife. Oh, right. <laughs> right who's constantly right, hounding right, him right, about right. like making yeah. the hotel better. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this movie is chock full of people that you'll know by face, but maybe not by name. You've seen them in other things. Yeah. Uh, one person you will know, though, is Dustin Hoffman. Wait, it was um, Dustin this whole time? I thought it was Justin Hoffman. It's <laughs> Academy Award winner <laughs> Justin Hoffman. Everybody makes that mistake. Oh, it's actually, man. It's actually Gustan. Gustan Hoffman? Uh, Hoffman, yeah. Hoofman? Hoofman. <laughs> Gustan Hoofman. Um, yeah, he, and actually, so we'll get into this when we when we transition a bit, but he doesn't show up until much, much, much <laughs> later in the film. The movie, yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, which, like... I forgot the time stamp. It yeah. sounds weird, but like yeah. if you watch the movie, it's it's kind it of it's very applicable. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm I'm flipping through. He's so far down on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, according to IMDb, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character plays as the conscience, and I I think I would agree with that. We'll go into it a little bit more later. But as I was watching it, I 
I was, uh, you know, wondering, well, who is this? Who is this? Who is he playing? Is he playing the devil? Is he playing God? You know, the conscience, you know, as, as put on by, by MDB. I, sure. You know, I, I'm okay with that moniker. It's creative. Mm-hmm. But I definitely feel like as you watch the movie, you're going to have a very, like, strong opinion one way or the other about who he's actually playing. Mm-hmm. But we'll leave it there for now yeah. um, and pick that back up. Mm-hmm. When we when we tear tear into his character, mm-hmm. so the IMDb description that we're working with uh, is really straightforward, um, and actually not particularly revealing in my opinion. A young girl receives a vision that drives her to rid France of its oppressors. The end. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Like no mention that she's Joan of Arc. No mention like mm-hmm. of the time period. A little like I don't know. I feel like that's that leaves something to be desired. Anybody else? Yeah, that it, well, I mean, okay, if you're watching this movie, The Messenger, A Story of Joan of Arc, there's a solid chance that you're familiar with Joan of Arc. So, I mean, are, are you saying that you appreciate the, the description because it it doesn't fill in the blanks? No, I'd say the opposite. I feel like, I mean, yes, it is in the title. And you should probably know it from the title. But a lot of people do actually refer to this movie just as The Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, because The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc, is a bit of a mouthful. I feel like, I don't know, I'm surprised that a movie about Joan of Arc doesn't have her name even in the description on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems a little <laughs> seems a little weird to me. I feel like the movies we've reviewed thus far in this podcast have been pretty spot on with their descriptions. Mm-hmm. And that just seems kind of curious to, kind of vacant. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Would you rather uh, go off with the back of the jacket? Uh, no, we'll we'll roll with IMDb, and then we. Mm, I yeah. think we'll I think we'll snag it when we uh, transition into our uh, personal overview. Speaking mm. of which, we can go into that right now. And and since we said personal overview, it is our duty to warn you: spoilers are coming up because we don't hold back in our personal overview for spoilers. Where should we begin for this movie? Uh, at the beginning. <laughs> that's always a good place to start. Yeah. No. I was really excited to talk about this movie. Um, man, I don't know if I loved it. I'm mm. very, very thankful to have seen it. It's kicked off a lot of thoughts in my head. Um, I, I struggle with, with, with a few things that, that we'll go into further. Um, it is 100% worth seeing and forming your own opinion about. Um, it's, you know, I, I think that it would be easy to write this movie off as an action flick, but my takeaway from it was that it's it's more about questioning one's sanity and you know and, and mm-hmm. digging into her mind. I mean, honestly, I think the movie is is half action, but then I, I don't know if it was exactly the halfway mark, but there's a sharp turn I, just after the midway point where it becomes mm-hmm. uh, a court movie. You know, it, it's it's an investigation, and that that really is you know the 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 potatoes for the meat and potatoes of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm excited to talk about it. So let's, um, before we actually move into the deep personal overview, um, Mark, you reminded me, let's do the would you recommend. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Is it over the 50% line? Mark, I'm going to kick it to you because you, you sort it's, of got the ball rolling on that. I, I would definitely recommend watching this movie. 100%. Um, just just for the, the thought-provoking nature of it. Um, sure, it's got its historical, you know, weight, but... At the same time, I really like... Well, man, I, I want to keep talking about it. But yes, if you're asking me thumbs up, thumbs down, I recommend it. Yes, uh, watch this movie. Um, I remember seeing it on 
when back when AMC did play movies and not just Walking Dead reruns, I do remember watching it. I was like, whoa, I really need to get this. So I went to, again, a local video rental store when those were still a thing and, uh, you know, picked it up, watched it from beginning to end. It's great. Um, if you don't want to, like, 100% invest in and buy it off of, uh, um, off of a store shelf or online, uh, you want to just take it slow, there should be a copy at your library or video streaming service where you can just put in the minimal purchase. And if you really like it, yeah, add it to your collection. I think it does belong on a lot of people's shelves. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's a good note about the library because I feel mm-hmm. like that's the kind of place that's the that, kind like, of thing you could the library that. will absolutely have this have movie that. every and library then you can will also have buy movie. more historical reference books if you want to delve deeper into the into the story or the facts yeah see what the uh, they changed for cinema versus history so we got two two thumbs up on this mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna give it a third um I love this movie I was so, um I, I was somewhat like thinking do you even much just like oh I hope he does right okay. but this is your copy we watched <laughs> it is my copy yeah. like I said in in one of the earlier podcasts <laughs> I am gonna be probably like massively biased on this yeah. uh, on this list only because these are coming out of my collection so mm-hmm. um, I'm very likely to be enjoying the movies that we're watching mm-hmm. um, but this this movie's no exception it's it's a good movie um it's a really interesting take on the Joan of Arc story. Mm-hmm. I really dig it. It's something that I, I loved in my youth. And one thing that did surprise me a little bit watching it re- uh, just now is is there were some parts that I, I sort of took issue with and I would love to pick apart and we're going to later in this podcast, but it's still way over that 50% mark and you should absolutely um, see it if you get the chance. Mm-hmm. So um, back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. It's France. It's the 14th century. <laughs> uh, basically, 1400s. It, it starts with a young Joan, mm-hmm. and she's well. It, I think it starts a little bit with the the historical context. It it sets oh, it up. Yeah. This is the we are, you know, 95 years into the Hundred Year War. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, you know, as a, as a listener, but this this Hundred Year War. I mean, it's funny because it, it was not a hundred years long. Mm-hmm. But it's like the it's, War of 1812, yeah. yeah it, it's, <laughs> it's just what, what it's referred to. Mm-hmm. But basically, England and France have been at odds with each other in some fashion for, you know, an entire generation mm-hmm. and a half, really. Mm-hmm. Um, all they've known is conflict between the two of them for mm-hmm. various political reasons that we're not going to go into here. England going to war with someone? <laughs> Never happened. Unheard of. Yeah. But it. so I think it does a good job of either refreshing the viewer on the the context of the movie or at least introducing them to um i don't know setting the stage yeah mm-hmm. yeah cuz this the it, stakes are laid yeah this is a biopic so it it's kind of mm-hmm. necessary to to understand some of the motivations of the characters and and where they might be coming from but continue I'm sorry. no no you're right that's that's a good note that it does have sort of that classic um period piece opening where you know it, it does sort of like s- not scrolling text but like uh, text fading in and out you know set over like a, a map that sort of describes you know the hundred year war and describes the conflicts between england and france and describes the state of the french monarchy which is pretty instrumental to understanding this film and sort of what happens with Jean as she gets older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably just full warning. I'm probably going to like be fading back and forth between saying Joan mm-hmm. and saying Jean, Jean because it's Jean in the film. Yeah. And that is definitely like how it was said, but I've definitely grown up my entire life with Joan of Arc mm-hmm. and, you know, 
somebody out there, probably many people are cringing at hearing me say that. So just full warning, I'm going to be just like bleeding back and forth between those two. Right. I, yeah. grew, I grew up with Joan of Arcadia. <laughs> no bragging. No bragging, but I watched it with my aunt. Yeah. <laughs> On a wholesome Thursday night. So we start off with uh, Jonah's little girl. Jonah's little girl. Uh, she's growing up on this um, repressed side uh, under the heel of the English. Just sucks to be in France right now in the uh, 1420s, late uh, almost 1430s. And she's just living day to day, having to pay tithes, having to you know uh, serve these Englishmen, having to like see her friends and family members killed. She's made, right on the border raped. region. Yeah, she's right there. She's seen the worst of the worst. And you grow up in that as a 10-year-old person boy girl don't matter you're gonna be traumatized for years into your adulthood yeah and sort of like the i think i don't know if seminal is the right word but Mm -hmm. one of the defining scenes of of Mm -hmm. her as a child Mm -hmm. is um her village gets raided Mm -hmm. and her sister basically gets like killed and raped in front of her more or less and as you can imagine that's Super horrific scene, mm, yeah. um, and so actually, fair warning if you're the, if you're say, the kind of person that like it's, is it too late for trigger warnings because yeah. there's a lot of disturbing images yeah. in the first twenty minutes. Well, and it's one of those yeah. things where it's like yeah. this, the accurate. scene definitely like yells out that it's coming, mm-hmm. yeah. and now that we've told you, if that's the kind of thing you don't like, yeah. just skip five minutes yeah. when that scene presents itself and it should be over i think mm-hmm. it is the only real scene of assault in the movie i mean there are there, other as than opposed, war, as yeah. opposed to war yeah, yeah there's a, a lot of graphic lines. imagery yeah. um but mm-hmm. I, I think that the, it serves a purpose um you know when you when we first meet jean jean uh mm-hmm. she is just this bubbly overjoyed 10 year old mm-hmm. despite her her environment and she has a very close relationship with her um her preacher mm. um she's a very godly individual goes to confession like three times a day mm-hmm. and yeah. the priest is like get out of here <laughs> go play with other kids <laughs> you're, you're being weird kid okay <laughs> but that that assault scene it that is where her this is the uh, this is the wrong word for it but that's where she kind of wilts um mm-hmm. you know that that side of her um crumbles and it, it's, it's a it's loss a of innocence reality yeah. yeah yeah it's a loss of innocence and i think it also mm-hmm. it, it signifies it like codifies her faith to mm-hmm. like an unquestionable level mm-hmm. like I, f- I feel like they set it up very nicely that given you know un uninterrupted communication and and support it's very possible that she would have taken the priest's advice and gone off and played with other kids and mm-hmm. sort of developed these these social relationships and and maybe grown out of her her need, her dependence on um, religion, and it was basically like that event where it was like, nope, my entire life is now dedicated to God, and this is like, this is what I'm doing. And I think as as horrific as the scene is, it's it's absolutely necessary in developing her as a character mm-hmm. into what she became. Um, I'm not sure how accurate that is to sort of the real story of her youth, but at least for the purposes of the film, it, it, it really like gave direction to her character. Which I, I think is super interesting because one of the larger themes that I want to kind of talk about and suss out in this movie is um, the relationship or with, with spirituality and religion in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of people, and I, I don't want this to turn into a, a, a religious debate, but a lot of people turn to their faith to... For, 
for, for personal guidance to, to get them through traumatic experiences for better or for worse. Yeah. And that's what Jean does. And that's, I think a lot of people do that, you know, and I think it, it just kind of speaks to that, you know, that relationship that a lot of people have personally with their faith is, you know, their faith gets them through those times. And, you know, it either shatters your faith or it, you know, it, it cements it. And mm-hmm. it certainly does in her case. So following this pretty horrific scene, her parents didn't actually die, but they needed to like stay back to rebuild. And they basically send her along to live with her aunt and uncle which she does, and uh, it's sort of from there kind of cuts forward 10 years maybe. She's about 9 in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and she's 19-ish in the... Um, I know she was 19 when she died, so 19-ish. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit younger when um, the movie jumps forward. Mm-hmm. And basically, the Dauphin of France, the, the guy who wants to become king, played by John Malkovich, he's kind of trying to figure out how he's going to get his crown. Um, meanwhile, there are these rumors, these these murmurings of this young maiden who's basically made a name for herself, being very vocal about ousting the English and, and creating a front and claiming that she was sent by God to drive the English out. Uh, as you can imagine, this creates a lot of um, interest in the, the royal court, and she comes to the Dauphin, and uh, they decide to put her to a test to make sure that she is actually um, worthy uh, and actually sent by God. She passes the test, as you might imagine. And um, she basically, through a series of obstacles, convinces the French aristocracy and, and royalty or would-be royalty to let her lead France's armies to free the city of Orléans in France that was under siege by the English. Um, Which is just crazy. Yeah. And I think it <laughs> yeah. really speaks I, to... I said that really casually. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it is fucking crazy. To recap, a peasant girl comes to the aristocracy and convinces them to give her their army. Okay? This is... A, a factual account of what actually took place at this time and it just underscores how downtrodden things were in France. Mm-hmm. France had nothing. They lost their capital. They lost what made them French. They were just a sliver of, of culture at that point. They had nothing. So this, it, it's just, it blows me away at how absurd and real that, that actually was. Continue. And it was, it was sort of interesting because like all, basically all of the Dauphin's advisors were saying this is a bad idea you don't know this woman from i was gonna say adam but maybe eve Eve? (laughs) uh you don't know who she is she could be an assassin or or like at at worst she could be an assassin at best she could just be like an incompetent person who knows nothing about military strategy and you're going to like she's trying to convince you to give her an army this is a bad idea blah 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 his mother-in-law is actually the one that steps in and sort of realizes the fervor that she's generated with the people mm-hmm. and kind of recognizes that it's the people that you need on your side. You need to give the people faith and you need to give them something to believe in. And this girl is doing that where the the French royalty and aristocracy are failing miserably. Mm-hmm. The people are losing hope. They are tired. They are, they're defeated, basically. In, in, um, they're completely demoralized. 
And what, yeah, what, what are the crazy things here? And again, I, I don't want to keep getting historical with it, but things are so bad at this point that the mm-hmm. heir to the French throne is the English king. That's how bad things mm-hmm. were. That that they had nothing to lose. Yeah, they had darkest nothing. hour. He, he even jokes that one of the tests basically involves uh, somebody subbing in for him, and as he's evaluating the candidates, one of them looks. Like very wealthy because he is, mm-hmm. and he jokes like you. You certainly look the part of a king. You're you're well dressed and you're in all the trappings of money. You possibly you cannot possibly be me because, as everybody knows in France, I'm the poorest person in this country. Mm-hmm. Because he is so indebted mm-hmm. and the the royal coffers are so depleted, mm-hmm. um, he he actually jokes about how bad it is Mm -hmm. so it it really sort of illustrates the point of where france is in this um so after a beat she gets the army uh goes to orleans they sneak her into the city uh which is still the walled city is still held by france um and is sort of being starved out by the english Mm -hmm. and she leads an assault against the english actually there's a surprise assault um, that were that was uh, conducted by her military council, and she had to basically turn it around. And in short order, she sort of successful, successively won several battles and defeated the English, drove them off. Um, and as anybody knows who knows anything about Joan of Arc, um, the sort of one of the most defining elements of her life was she was eventually captured by the English um, after um, the French monarchy sort of turned their back on her and she was captured and then ultimately uh burned at the stake it's probably important to note at this point that the part where she the part of the movie where she's actually in the english prison and undergoing like the the trial and all this stuff that is the part where um dustin hoffman's character sort of pops up Mm -hmm. and uh throughout this entire movie she's she's seeing visions and and she had never seen this particular vision before and he's basically like questioning everything she does and making her question her own mm-hmm. her own sanity mm-hmm. i think is that is that sort of our elevator that was a that was probably the deepest of the overviews yeah. we've done but yeah and i do this, this movie i, I think do merits appreciate it. the thing about this uh movie uh for the deep dive is is jones questioning of sanity with dustin hoffman's embodiment of the conscience mm-hmm. um and you know there are the those historical studies so like well, was Joan schizophrenic in her day and age, and just n- no one knew how to diagnose that back in fourteen twenty nine? Um, possibly, because um, it's very unlikely that she was actually a messenger of a divine power in the landscape of Europe. It depends on who you ask. It depends <laughs> on you ask again. It depends on what story you want to take. Is it, is it a, a peasant girl chosen by a higher calling, or is it a? An unfortunate trauma- post-traumatic stress person or a um, person of mental health um, yeah. to just uh, was able to exist in that day and age without diagnosis. I, I like that they... I love that. I love the flirting that line. They don't answer. No, they don't. No. <laughs> like, there's no consecutive like right or wrong. And even Dustin Hoffman's character goes into like, oh, you thought it was like this? Well, what if it was like this? What about this? Mm-hmm. The particular scene is uh, like her finding her sword. Yeah, it's and there like, was a sign from God that, that she was God. supposed to lead mm-hmm. France's armies. Oh, that's a sign from God? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> she found a sword in a field <laughs> and she took that as a sign that, you know, God sent that Mm-hmm. sword to her to 
lead France's armies. And Dustin Hoffman, like answer. it's very, like you watch it in the movie and you in don't her- you don't even question it. You're in like, her- oh, obviously God sent that in a heroic then, like, epic. Yes, yeah, that would be she would be Jason against the and the Argonauts. She yeah. would be Hercules, but no, she's and then Dustin Hoffman is very girl, so. like casually like why really that's <laughs> really? the most likely situation there are, of the literally infinite possibilities of how that sword got into that field. That's yes, the one you choose. You, choose? <laughs> yeah. you chose this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like coming down uh, through like rays of light. Yeah. yeah, that's the one you went with. Um, Very no, good, young girl. <laughs> oh man, hello, Dustin. You're making me feel things. It, I feel like they had to do that. No, to, yeah. to ground the movie. I'm oh, absolutely. definitely. Yeah, her because it's a, not a fantasy movie. It's not. It's not, and she mm-hmm. she is a saint. So mm-hmm. some people yeah. take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know. And I think that I personally feel like they threaded the needle pretty well by. Mm-hmm you know, grounding it in kind of rational, uh, you know, thought and mm-hmm. inquiry without answering it definitively mm-hmm. and still leaving it open to yeah. people's personal beliefs. I, I completely agree. I, I One of my favorite aspects of this film is that um, the entire time, they really show the possibility that, that Joan of Arc could have been insane mm-hmm. um or or could have had some type of psychotic break like she's hearing voices and she's mm-hmm. she's believing that god is speaking to her and you know you, you not uncommonly with like schizophrenic you hear things like talking to angels and talking you know talking to relatives or yeah and, and to, uh, so she yeah like one of the things I, d- I didn't really consider until you just brought it up mark and i really appreciate you bringing it up is like one of the things that i feel like the the writers probably had to wrestle with immediately that i never really considered was here we have a person who's like on record in the historical record saying like they hear voices, they were sent by God, they were, you know, doing all this stuff. She is a canonized saint by the Catholic by the standards of the Catholic Church. Like, but at the same time, reviewing that objectively, it sounds like somebody who is suffering from some type of, of mental illness. And they were faced with this issue of like, we're gonna piss off a great deal of people if we choose one over the other. So they decided to do both and present them with no winner. Mm. And it was like, it was a very clever decision because you can walk away from this movie feeling any way that you want. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really cool in that way. And, and um, kind of getting back to what I had said earlier about Dustin Hoffman's character. And, and I had sort of alluded to like, you could take anything away from that character that you want. Like, my first instinct was like, "That's the devil." Mm-hmm. Like he's and, and like they it. present him like that. Like it he's he's like in a that. he's in a black uh, cloak oh. with scleras, mm-hmm. so his eyes are all blacked out, mm-hmm. and he's like he's talking like he's got a deep voice. Anyways, and she's at her lowest. She's in a dungeon. Yeah. Oh, dude. She is and torture and mm-hmm. eminent death. Yeah. <laughs> so she's at her lowest. And he is like they, he's already got a deep voice, but they mm-hmm. did something to his voice, yeah. and they like deepened it and like made it a little echoey, and it is just like haunting. Mm-hmm. It is just like it, his voice is so fucking creepy, mm-hmm. and I love it because mm-hmm. and it, he just he. It's exactly what like Christian mythology would dictate the devil would do in that exact situation mm-hmm. is like show up after your faith has led you to this point mm-hmm. and make you question, question your faith move. at the worst mm-hmm. possible like mm-hmm. you know it's the like, last temptation of Christ type shit yeah. and uh, uh it was just like a, it was a beautiful scene but at the same time you could absolutely interpret that 
as you could ter- interpret him as God. You could interpret him as her conscience, which it sounds like IMDb, mm-hmm. you know, took that took that lens, or, or perhaps they took that from maybe he's listed at that in, as that in the credits or something. But like, it could just have been her conscience and her guilt having done what she did. Because I mean, at the you basically have to wrestle with the issue of like your leading an army in the name of God. Yeah. Like, that whole, like, don't kill thing, that's on a pretty important list from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Don't, and turn the other cheek and all that bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, like, literally slaughtering people. Mm-hmm. And the, but they, How do you reconcile that? that? Justify they, with the Crusades, too, yeah. They yeah. do cover that, though. There is a scene, you know, where she is, you know, well, she she's full, you know, action mode, and then all of a sudden she stops and she looks around. It's very, like, almost Saving Private Ryan-esque. Mm-hmm. And she's looking around at the slaughter. And she, you, you can see that, that she is thinking that same thing that you brought mm-hmm. up. That, you know, God... That this was God's will. Mm-hmm. And she sees this... Um, all right, there, there's a, an Englishman who's, who's knocked to the ground. Uh, he's still conscious. And there's a Frenchman who is pulling out the man... Or is preparing to pull out the man's teeth. And she like runs up to him and she she stops and she's like, "What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? You know," and the the, the Frenchman just they're good teeth, you know. He, he just says, I, "I want them. They're good teeth." And then she, you know, you can just see her like, "Well, it just doesn't fit her reality." And mm-hmm. she's like, "Well, no, no, you can't do this. This this is wrong. This is wrong." And she she tries to say this to one of the captains of her army, and the the, the captain you know just kind of points around like, "This is what you asked for. Yeah, this is yeah. what you wanted." Mm-hmm. You know, and you can just tell that that she is trying to grapple with that conflict because, mm-hmm. you know, if we if we suppose that that God is real, is God going to take sides in a political battle? The ah. the, the middle section of this movie can definitely be like summed up with the phrase like cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Like it's just she is just doing some massively creative backflips to try and reconcile mm-hmm. why it's okay. For a a Frenchman to you know smash out an Englishman's teeth, mm-hmm. you know, in the name of basically in the name of God, because <laughs> God's on our side. And you got to remember those Old Testament uh, books and those old uh, books from um, the Quran and stuff like that. They apply to the tribes of Israel. You don't have to be kind to your neighbor if your neighbor's a filthy, you know, heathen or an Englishman. Yeah, no, you I... just got to take care of number one, and number one is France. <laughs> Yeah, I, if I you're if you're being medieval about it, <laughs> number yeah. uh, number number So a uh, one sorry quick uh, point before we move on that I just like mm-hmm. I find absolutely haunting in this movie is um, basically as they're going through, she keeps cutting back and forth not all the time but a lot to these visions that she's having. And mm-hmm. one of the things is she sees this like image of what is very clearly Jesus um, first as a child, when she's a child and he sort of grows with her. And the, first of all, the person they cast to play him is just like the dude. Sorry, friend. He's got kind of a funky look about him. Mm-hmm. Like it, like a, an unsettling look. Like he's, he's got, um, I think he's got whatever Marty Feldman had where his eyes are a little bulgy and they're, they're sort of going different directions. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure, like, he's not as haunting as that in real life. Like, he's probably a normal dude in real life. But in this movie, like, the way they portrayed him, like, he's really unsettling to look at. And he just, like, keeps 
flowing back and forth between like being happy like he dances with her but then he's just sitting in this like stone throne staring daggers at her and then at one point uh when she's like basically in the middle of a battle she cuts away to one of these these visions and he starts saying like what what have you done to me jean what have you done and then just like out of fucking nowhere blood starts pouring from the top of the guy's head Mm -hmm. and like before the vision ends like his face is covered in blood and it's basically Mm -hmm. jesus screaming like more or less for mercy in her face and then it like cuts back and she's back in the battle that scene is unsettling and and in like the best way i really appreciate the filmmakers for writing that in because it's like that's like the really the beginning of her own visions are causing her to question what she's doing yeah and if her visions are really her conscience then you know you can basically sell it as that yeah, yeah. And it's important to know, too, you know, we're talking about her being in these battles and her winning these battles. She doesn't wield a sword. She wields a banner. Mm-hmm. So she uses the army as her weapon. I don't know if there's even any scenes where she kills anyone other than I think there there is. And it's I think it's touched upon later. But she is she is the, the motivator. She's pushing the army. She's um, you know, she's she's rallying people. So when she sees the 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 grisliness of what war is she feels very responsible for it because even though she's not hacking and slashing you know this isn't braveheart in that regard you know she is you know everything that happens in that battle is is her kind of you know she's the reason why they're why they're there she's the reason why they're not talking with each other she she is responsible for the bloodshed. The bloodshed, and that is a point that's brought up later in her trial, where like that, she was very good about sort of like pivoting away and turning it back to God and all this stuff when they were questioning her about all this shit. But the one thing that really got under her skin was when one of the the judges, um, who's like the they're all the clergymen, um, one of them was asking her about her like using her sword and like. God said it's okay to kill, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I never killed anybody. I only use my banner. And then he's like, uh, we have several eyewitnesses saying that you did use your sword. And, and she's like, well, I lost my banner, blah, blah, blah. And she like keeps trying to like pivot away from it. And he keeps pressing. And it's making her question whether she actually did in the heat of battle kill somebody when she was waving her sword around or not. And it's like, it's kind of breaking her down. And it's, it, it again, sort of contributes to this whole like, is she insane? Yeah. Kind of thing, which is which is kind of an interesting, you know, I mean, again, we say all this not to say that, like, she wasn't brave. Even somebody who's, you know, hearing voices has to have a hell of a strong resolve to fucking stare down an army and to come out of obscurity and lead an army. And like, Mm -hmm. this is this is not, you know, for the faint of heart. So nothing to to, you know, knock her chops as far as um, her ability to. Uh, to lead into you know what she's what she did for France, but well, no, she she's, also could have been insane. Yeah. <laughs> she's climbing up the ladder at the walls and gets hit point blank with an arrow. You know she, you know she was getting her hands dirty. She just mm-hmm. wasn't hacking and slashing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no, I agree. Full bravery points. So that was like that was a very very deep personal overview that we just did, and I, I think it was absolutely merited by this film. And if if you're understanding why we had to go so deep. Um, Go, go and see the movie, and Again, I, I think you'll... It's the longest runtime we've had to tackle. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, specifically, the acting. How are we... Like, I, I, I gotta say two points on the acting. First of all, Dustin Hoffman fucking killed it. Mm-hmm. 
God, he was so good. And he's so, he's just, I keep using that word unsettling, but he's just. Oh, he owns it. And there's a reason they kept him on on just the back fourth of the movie. Because otherwise he, otherwise it wouldn't be a story about Joan of Arc. It would be about her conscious. Yeah. Yeah, If he was there from day one, like, no, no. (laughs) If he was there at the nine-year-old scene, no, 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 no. Like, he doesn't do much. But what he does is awesome. Commands it. He commands the scene. Yeah. Um, I'm actually gonna like. I'm. I'm. I love Miljovovich. I think she's mm-hmm. such a talented actress. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest. I didn't notice this so much when I watched this as a youth. But rewatching it, her performance does get under my skin a little bit. Um, she's trying to convey this like very shaky, very unsure, but also mm-hmm. sure kind of character, and mm-hmm. and. It's just oftentimes it's just too much mm-hmm. to for me. It's it's she's too shaky. She's too like oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not mousy, but frazzled like, or like yeah, timid. Timid. Yeah. She's way too timid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's like it's a very energized timid. You know, her eyes are bugging out. She's mm-hmm. looking I was say, both she's ways. She's very much cast for her eyes. Her like, and a lot of actors are actors and actresses are cast because of their expressive eyes, and she just. Could you, she could just pop them, mm-hmm. and people can just like whoa, yeah. <laughs> like be commanded, like because she she will draw the the camera to her, and so yeah, it's a good thing and a bad thing in some situations. Yeah, I don't think it's it's definitely not one of those things that like ruin the film. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit, but like I I definitely like I think her in performance a, in, in a like, very dark movie in a very dark settings a lot of times. Um, yeah, you, you have to go to the whites and the greens of her eyes. I I think her her mm-hmm. performance in the Fifth Element like surpasses mm-hmm. this by quite a bit in my yeah. opinion. Well, I think. What part of the reason I guess she doesn't talk so much, Colin? <laughs> oh, she actually doesn't talk very much in that movie. Maybe that was a yeah, a, yeah. A, a poor comparison. Mm. No, I, 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 think that, I think she succeeded very well in what she was trying to do, mm-hmm. but she didn't show any range. But yeah. I, I have a hard time knocking her for that because I don't think the the movie really called for her to show a lot of range in this. I think I don't she was. Think it, I, I don't think it asked for historical accuracy of Joan's personality because again, how can you gauge that? And okay. it's like you know that's a I mean that's a tough protagonist for any female to play. Well, they were trying to walk that tightrope of yeah. like you know is she insane? Is she yeah. sent by God? Yeah. If she was in this situation, she would be unnerved. And like yeah. basically every situation is an unnerving situation yeah. for her. So like I get it. Mm. I just think maybe it was like a little over the top. Certain takes might have been different or better. I mean, I I would argue it's probably, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I have no Mm -hmm. idea. But I would assume it's probably historically accurate in that, like, how does a 16, 17, 18-year-old, you know, girl Mm -hmm. command the respect of battle-hardened generals, you know, captains? The only way you can do that is if you just extrovert the hell out of everything that you do. You know, you have to be bigger than your body because you're you're mm-hmm. just a child. Yeah. And I, I think that you almost have to have that craziness in you, and I think that she did that really well. Um, but again, she's not slowing down. She's not. She doesn't look calculated. Mm-hmm. But would she be? I mean, she's not known for being um, a, a mastermind so much as uh, a force to, to 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 rally the people around her. So. I'm also like okay, so I, I've actually got a lot of critiques of this film, and I think it's it's largely as much as I love this movie. I think it's largely because I loved it so much as a youth, and rewatching it has sort of like made me evaluate critically some of these things. But to be honest, like I don't think it was Malkovich's best performance either. And I I again, it doesn't like ruin the film. It just it felt a little 
a little shallow and a little like Malkovichy, if that's if you get what I'm saying. Like it just it just didn't feel right for the character. And again, I am not particularly familiar with like you know uh, whoever he was. I can't remember his his exact title. Um, maybe there's a historical record that suggests that he was exactly like that, and I'm just unaware of it. That's possible. Sure. But I just felt like it was very um, it was very Malkovich and was not my. Almost, almost as if like his character read, "You need to be, you know, royalty who is shaky enough, who is unsure of himself enough mm-hmm. to give away your army, you know." <laughs> right. And so he just played that, mm-hmm. and he played a character who was weak and meek, and you know that it was believable enough mm-hmm. that he would do that, and any rational person would not. And so he was not playing the rational person. Yeah, we'll say with uh, in respects to uh, Malkovich and Dunaway, I do um, appreciate their influence in this film um, and their take on the characters. Again, I have no frame of historical reference if this is exactly how the Duvon and mother-in-law would act. But it felt like uh, it felt like a slice of stage play in the movie. Maybe it was ill-placed for some watchers, but I I rather enjoyed the. particular take on it i thought it added some different elements rather than just the conflict between uh, two armies and then the church and a girl like it was like this internal family conflict too i think dunaway especially yeah i think she, she brought definitely it brought it um now mm-hmm. i think it's a character that she's used to playing so she was well mm-hmm. within her her particular like wheelhouse but like she's so good at playing that character that like she she fucking nailed it mm-hmm. um and it was like yeah she was like sort of sly sort yeah. of surreptitious mm-hmm. as far as directing i the movie is just really like it's really unsettling it's really dark and it's really anxious it's like it's a really anxiety provoking movie love because how they play with lights with this i love yeah. how uh benson plays with lights with this um he will he will not shy away from a dark cellar or a dungeon he will not shy away from a beautiful blue french sky as jones having her visions uh, he he didn't play it safe um, he, just like with Fifth Element and his other um, very uh, dramatic um, use of color and splash, I will. I, I tip my hat to him. I think, I think Tarsum wants to do what Besson does in a lot of his movies, but it just falls short. And for whatever reason, it works for Luke, but doesn't for Tarsum in my book. Uh, another director we might have to uh, watch on this um, podcast. Where where uh, might the listeners know? from oh the cell uh, the fall uh, a snow white uh remake <laughs> well the cell and the fall are both yeah on our list so we will get there yeah, yeah. this cl- excellent choice and i and i think especially with a, the comparison between fifth element and those mm-hmm. films yeah i definitely agree it fits you know it fits our criteria so uh, my take on directing and i i don't know who to blame for this and i i guess i'm just gonna pick the director the pacing of this movie for me um wasn't fantastic i felt like there was a lot of good um you know like like tim like, like you were saying the um the cinematography of it was was fantastic you know um but it really felt like two different movies um you know i think it almost could have served as like a part one and a part two 
Um, no, that, that would have been terrible because you wouldn't have wanted to watch the second one. <laughs> I would, no, I would. I'd watch a two-hour, you know, Joan of Arc Part 1, and then the second is The Trials and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But for me, it, it was all action-heavy at the beginning, you know, and then she's she's captured, and boom. It is all trial, investigation, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it felt like all of the momentum kind of ground to a halt. And I know that that was kind of important. And I know just just a little bit of backstory here. A lot of the information that we have about Joan of Arc came from the transcripts that were taken during her trial. So it mm-hmm. was really important to, to hash through that and actually mm-hmm. give that some weight. So I'm glad that they didn't breeze over it. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as the, the, the pacing with it... Um, and. <laughs> I don't know how else you could have done it, but it felt to me like after the the last you know sword clashed, if you weren't invested in the character, you're gonna you're gonna pass out or you're gonna be done with it. Um, and I I think like I agree with you, and I I think there is a a particular issue with um, the pacing right in the middle, the pivot between the first half and the second half. Uh, gets into a little bit more. Um, it, it basically, there's like one scene that has to explain why the French monarchy sort of turns their back on her. And it's like, that's really important. Like, it's really critical that you understand why they just decided, okay, we're not into Joan of Arc anymore. It's not our, you know, that was last week. Mm-hmm. Like, and they do it in a scene and it feels incredibly rushed and you 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 sort of come out of it going like, so why are they not into her anymore? Like she just she just gave them back like half their fucking country, and they're just like okay, never mind. <laughs> and I I they sort of explain it where it's like oh he you know he's got his crown and that's all he cares about and blah blah blah. But like it just felt wildly insufficient. Both the Dauphin or the so the king at this point, both the king and his mother in law, who were huge supporters of her in the beginning, just completely turned face. And there's very little explanation as to why. Yeah. Um, which is, it's very unsatisfying and it's also very confusing and it, it sort of drives that wedge and makes the, in my opinion, makes the film feel like it's in two parts. Uh, one thing I did think was directed really well were the, the, there were these really sort of protracted battle sequences and like battles in a lot of movies tend to be shown as, you know, they're either really short or, they don't show a lot of like detail. They cut back and forth between all of these various things and they rely on these quick cuts to mm-hmm. sort of confuse your eye. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't do that so much. Like there are some really long shots of battle and you're almost by the end of the battle. I mean, I love battle mm-hmm. sequences. <laughs> I do. Um, I have since I was a kid. But at the end of the battle sequence, you're almost tired of seeing battle. You're like, okay, I'm done. I'm ready for this to be over. Feel, and like, that's feel, good. I feel satisfied. Like, yeah, again, this <laughs> it does it so well with feeling the weight of that armor that uh, all the soldiers in Joan are wearing. You feel like the mud on their boots and on their face and horses. You feel the sweat um, off of everybody. It doesn't shy away. It doesn't make a people look pretty and victory or or defeat. Right. It doesn't yeah. make it doesn't make that distinction and. Uh, Hats off to that, and it doesn't shy away from um, you know intense angles. Like they will, they won't just play it safe with dolly shots or crane shots. They will get up in there, which I think is one of the reasons mm-hmm. why people will draw a pretty close comparison to Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the battles were they were just really visceral. Yeah, they weren't mm-hmm. pretty. They were in mud and blood, and, and everybody else is stealing entrails. You know? There were a couple of scenes that were like, you know, the actual like 
filming, like the actual, um, was was not my favorite. Like there was a scene in the which he was on trial, where was, there was sort of this slow zoom going on, but it was really choppy. Mm. And like, I'm not the kind of person who like you know, pisses and moans about cinematography, but it's something that I actually noticed, and mm-hmm. if I noticed it, that's not great. Yeah. You know? Um, as far as the writing goes, I think this movie was w- written well overall. One thing that I felt was a little weird, and, like, it's weirder now that I'm older because I feel like I'm noticing it more, but, like, there's definitely, like, a sexualization of her with Jesus. Yeah. Which is, like both interesting and intriguing but also feels a little weird and dirty and kind of like i it just it's it's a really unusual take that they they decided on and like it's not like explicit it's just sort of suggestive or hinted at or like what 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 makes you uncomfortable colin she's a bride of christ (laughs) can you dig into that a little bit because i (laughs) those notes didn't jump out to me yeah so like um so some of the dialogue or some of some of the like the way she describes her like you know relationship to god sort of like hinted at it and then there were some like the scene with him dancing with her in the woods was a little suggestive of that like they're in the woods and it's like really intense and he's like staring at her and then the next scene they're like swinging around each other and you can't really see what's happening and there's like laughing and stuff i don't know it just um there there's that scene which is kind of even weirder when she's like a kid and she like breaks into the into the church and like starts guzzling wine because she wants to be one with god mm-hmm. and like i don't know it just yeah. It was all like it was all really subtle and like I never noticed it before but rewatching it it sort of jumped out at me and it didn't ruin the film it's like it's just it's just sort of an interesting take. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, there's definitely can be that um underlining, you know, possible subtext. Yeah, and it was one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like if I saw that on paper mm-hmm. before we were going to like film the movie I'd be like let's maybe let's maybe like not not do that like right. let's let's change that stuff up a little bit right. yeah i um one thing about the writing that i appreciated is it really it it showed how interwoven religion was with the political uh, aspects of the time mm-hmm. um the most intelligent kind wise characters in this movie were were the religious men and the most just batshit crazy you know absurd irrational cruel cruel were the religious people Mm -hmm. so and then like the the secular you know i guess viewpoint or the the your everyday schmuck person just kind of fell somewhere in the middle and they were just kind of being jostled between two megalith points of view and you know i think it it really did a good job of illustrating what it was probably like at the time where you just had to do what what you were told and you had to walk a tightrope because you you could be confessing and and confiding one minute and being burned at the stake the next that's how they live their lives you know you were either a part of us and you were warm and you were secure and you were safe or you were against us and you were nothing mm-hmm. you were trash you were worse than nothing you were a plague to be exterminated well and sometimes you can still be on that in crowd and still like get fucked over like mm-hmm. you know all of her captains and everything like they they came up with the ransom for her and they 
they could have gotten her out and the king of France didn't do it. Yeah. Because basically the problem was quote unquote going to take care of itself because he didn't want her around anymore. Mm. Um which was pretty fucked up. Yep. Yeah. And when when she's when she's captured and ransom offed to the English, um because it's not technically the English who who capture her, but the English they you know, they they follow the same god mm-hmm. as the god of you know of France. And so there's this kind of the, the, the king is looking for the the religious men uh, of Rome to justify his decision to burn her at the stake. You know, he, he goes into it. He wants her burned. And here, put her on trial. Wash my hands of this. Make this something that is that, that is right by God. Yeah. Um, they need to burn her for heresy because if they burn her for secular reasons, like you're on the other side... They're going to make her not only a martyr, but they're going to completely demoralize their own army because basically their army is going to think that they burned a servant of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can't happen. So he needs the church to basically sanction the the, the burning, That's which, uh, which is also... excommunication of Joan. Yeah. Here's something interesting. The, the king in this movie, the English king who wants her burned, um, that actor is actually the guy who plays the executioner in Braveheart. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that. What I saw, I saw and I was like, oh shit, it's that guy. <laughs> Alright, so one more thing that I, I swear to God this is my last complaint about this movie. I feel like I've, I've thrown out a lot of things I don't like. I actually do really like this movie overall and and I'm just nitpicking because it's, it's sort of hot in my mind. Um, so, the practical effects don't particularly hold up. I don't think that's a, that's a critique that's, you know, uncommon of of any moderate budget film that you know had enough money to do the CGI but not so much that like it was so good that it held up 20 years later i think it's common critique but it's something that like if you're sensitive to uh, uh not so great special effects mm. this might that might get to you but the practical effects are outstanding oh gosh yeah um the 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 actual like fight sequences like they mm-hmm. they fucking fought and it was cool and no, it's practical i agree but it does not look like this movie came out the same year that The Matrix did, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it did. You know, so I, I would agree. I think that the practically they don't really hold up in the same way that maybe some of the other movies of the time mm-hmm. did. But I, that's I can overlook it because I don't I don't think that that's that that was what they were trying to to underscore in this movie. But I, I agree with that criticism. It wasn't a critical part of the. It didn't make or break the film. It was just no, little no. bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so favorite quote. How are we feeling, fellas? Hang on. Before we jump right into that, really quickly, I wanted to mention the soundtrack and the score. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Holy cow. That makes this movie for me. Mm. It's so ominous. It's so dark and melodic. And, you know, from the first 15 minutes, you know what you're in for. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed the score to this movie. I think it was done very well. It aids the tone immensely. Every scene, you know exactly what's what you're supposed to be feeling anxiety uh, characters yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> every the character, scene anxiety be anxious <laughs> be, it, be it an audience with the king or battle with the english or your trial and imminent death <laughs> yeah jesus the tone is set but yeah yeah no yeah. you i i agree mark it was it was yeah. solid yeah all right but um mm-hmm. yeah we're, we're going into quotes um you brought it up uh wh- what do you got for us Colin? uh so uh, i've got i've got two and a half quotes and uh, I say two and a half because the one is standalone and one is actually like tied together. So 
My first one is uh, we had said that uh, the mother-in-law of the Dauphin is, is kind of important, and she's sort of like, she's not a huge character, but she's sort of whispering in his ear, and she's she's um, making sure that he's get he gets crowned king, because that makes her powerful. And um, there's a scene, like the day of the coronation, when he's, he's to become king, she goes in, and there are these clergy members who are freaking out because there's this holy oil that was allegedly given by God to somebody to anoint some king in the past, and probably it's to, all gone. Probably to David, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, some special fancy yeah. god oil that, yeah. that anoints kings, and it's all gone, and they're freaking out, and they're like, this oil is a miracle, it's it's a miracle, It can't. this can't happen, and then she like takes the vial from one of them and pulls this other vial out from her bosom and like begins to pour it into the the empty one and the one of the clergy members says what are you doing and she says performing a miracle and i just thought that like was so but she says it so like <laughs> performing a miracle like like right. so <laughs> yeah. oh i love it like it was she could deliver it was so well delivered and it was mm. just like basically like shut your face He's going to become king, yeah. and it's going to be awesome. You're not, you're not going to stop this. You're not, I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Shut up <laughs> So take the oil. <laughs> so definitely that one. And then um, my other favorite is is two quotes about the same thing, and this is always these have always been my favorite quotes from this film. Uh, so after the first battle, um, the French seize a uh, trebuchet from the English army that was laying siege to Orléans, and for those of you who don't know, a trebuchet, uh, it's not a catapult, but a lot of people see a trebuchet and they think catapult. Um, it's basically a large siege weapon that operates like a big sling, and it slings these these very heavy balls great distances, um, and it's it's good for breaking down like castle walls and shit. So and it's more armored than a catapult would be. And uh, yeah, so the uh, French end up, end up capturing it, and one of the one of her captains, um, kind of funny guy, he he stands up and in this like really thick French accent is like, "That's mine." <laughs> he just like, claims it like a like he sounds like a toddler. <laughs> he sounds like a toddler that found a toy, and um, like like probably five minutes later, they're like carrying it to the next battle, and um, he just like. Somebody like trips or moves or something. And he just goes, "Hey, hey, hey be careful with my baby." <laughs> it's classic. And it, it really jumps out too because it's like a moment of levity, you know, amongst the bloodshed. Yeah. You know, so it sure yeah. highlights. Um, I think for me, um, I had to. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna land on on one for now. And it's it's a quick quote at the beginning of the movie before the the village burning scene. She's she's filled with with joy. You know, she's just hit the confessional, and you know, she's running through the flowers, and she's just she doesn't have a care in the world. And she uh, she opens up the door to her home, and she yells to her her parents. You know, isn't it wonderful? You know, and she's just it, it's so there's so much joy in her delivery um, of, of that moment. Her, her character's delivery. It's not played by by Mila at that point. So you you set that scene aside, and then you jump forward in the movie and. After she's been granted the army by the Dauphin, uh, they arrive at Orléans, and there's another character who is basically just telling another another one of the characters, another one of the, the people in the in the town, that 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 Joan has arrived, and you know she claims, you know, isn't it wonderful? And it's 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 three words. You know, I think a lot of people will just will skip by it without even thinking about it. But for me, it jumps out because it, at the beginning, isn't it wonderful? Is she's she's talking about God, 
you know, she's talking about being filled with the, the spirit, you know, what, what have you. Mm-hmm. And at that midway point, the it's, it's about Joan arriving and how I just really enjoy the contrast. You know, she is filled with God at the beginning and someone else is filled with joy because Joan has arrived. And it almost like mm-hmm. it's, it's replacing God for them with Joan. I, I I just really enjoyed the the contrast between the two scenes, and I I have to imagine that that bit of dialogue was intentional. If it wasn't, um, it's it's a fantastic mistake, or you know just happenstance. Well, sounds like a solid comeback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you got? Tim? All right. So if I remember the context correctly, uh, this is during Jones' interrogation during the later part of the film, and um, the end of this is the tagline of the film, of course. But the lead-up to that is way more powerful. Uh, so, it, like, it justifies it being a trailer clip, because uh, the payoff is fantastic. And they're like, what do you think you are? It's all like, they're questioning her endless hours, and she just finally like goes like, I don't think. I leave that to God. I'm nothing in all this. I'm just the messenger. And, like, surrender, like that's... That's the bit of the fantasy that I really enjoy about her story. Is like she does want to offer herself up as a right hand of justice for France, right hand of belief and vengeance and justice for her people, uh, where she can, you know, deliver God's message to free France of her enemies. Yeah, and I, th- I think it underscores. Her... And they and they, the messenger line comes back again, peppered out throughout the movie as well, too. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it underscores mm-hmm. that that she's not interested mm-hmm. in explaining herself Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. she just she is yeah and she is neither above or below her station she knows exactly what she is set destined to do by divine intervention to do yeah and i just love that she's like she's still so grounded in that her faith is unshaken of that Mm -hmm. as a as a faithless he is myself i can still admire that (laughs) i i think she's uh she also illustrates that um with her contrast with Adolf in the beginning, she's like basically like kissing his feet. Y- y- you get the impression that she loves nobody more than this man. Like he is the savior of France and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then like halfway through the film when they lose faith in her and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and he doesn't give her the resources that she needs. She basically like barges in on him and like throws something at him. Mm-hmm. And like, it really illustrates yeah. that her faith in the Dauphin was exclusively rooted in her faith in god and and what she thought god was telling her to do Mm -hmm. um which is like kind of cool like that that they were that careful Mm -hmm. with the character and and how they Mm -hmm. how the character played out these these things this is the making of a good protagonist person's foundation who's you know not swayed by worldly means necessarily Mm -hmm. i completely agree Mm -hmm. how we uh how we feeling on rating fellas are we uh do we think we've captured this one and we're ready to move on to ratings or we we could keep talking about it for a while honestly yeah. yeah There's there's a lot to to, to unpack. Yeah, right. It's I mean, deep. this is something. This is something like again. We I wanted to brush off this movie from the past because again, I love you know me me ninety nine movies. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I definitely could like get into. We could go to the library like we were saying and, and get this movie and get a uh, BBC documentary and get <laughs> and get tons of books from both mm-hmm. the adult young adult and children's section all about Joan's story because mm-hmm. it's for all ages. Uh, this movie isn't for all ages, obviously. <laughs> it is not. It's uh, much... It, you gotta wait for PG-13, I think. Oh, no, it's an R-rated movie. Oh, but solid R. So it's a solid R, but I don't think it's nearly as 
bad as some R's. No, I, th- I think they. I think the R is appropriate, mm-hmm. but yeah. I feel like you, you know your thought that it might be PG thirteen. Sometimes mm-hmm. with the biopics, they dial them back a little bit on yeah. the rating because of the the nature of the content, and it's not you know mm-hmm. sort of like gore for gore's sake or no. like you know that kind of shit. Right. So. Got yeah. going for that historical realism to a certain degree. Yeah, but I I, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think we're ready to to start wrapping mm-hmm. it up. But um, mm-hmm. you know, we've already talked about it. it. This is definitely a movie to watch with some people and, and spur mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. There's it's very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. At least it was for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so speaking of ratings. We'll start with you, Tim. What, uh, okay. what, what are you, what are you throwing at this? At the, at uh, the messenger story of Joan of Arc. Um, I really want to, again, uh, try to think of a broader audience. And in my mind, I think again, old and young audiences can enjoy this. Um, not history, too young. Not too young. Not too young. <laughs> Obviously, thirteen and up. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely. At least, <laughs> um, you know. Again, parents use your uh, use your judgment. Um, I think. Um, from a movie from 99, uh, with some historical context, with some fictional uh, peppering in there, uh, with some action, drama, and um, interesting questions about philosophy in there. I, I'd like to think I could recommend this to uh, a wide range of audiences, be it believers, non-believers, phil- uh, history buffs, uh, people just curious about France or England in that time, in that during that 100 years war. I'm going to give this an 8.3... White banners on horseback. Nice. Wow, that is a strong rating. That's I think that's my um, highest rating and longest runtime. So get ready, folks. Yeah. In. <laughs> yeah. This movie, I used to absolutely love this movie. I think I said this already that it was it was one of my favorites, and I I still really like this movie. Um, rewatching it as an adult, I haven't seen it in a number of years. There were I I felt some things that didn't hold up, and I'm I'm looking at it through a slightly more critical lens now. Mm-hmm. I think my rating would have originally been a little bit closer to yours, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I'm going to be... I think I'll give this a 6.6 6, uh, Swords from God. Mm-hmm. Swords from God. Now, what is... do I know we've, we've talked about conversions before, but mm-hmm. do you feel like that's a pretty close conversion to uh, uh, Swords of God to... I mean, it's no, hol- it's no holy oil from bosoms, but, you know. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that you bring that up because that was exactly what I was I was gonna move to that that Damn. unit of measurement. I stole I stole your thunder. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I no, you didn't. I think it was a great segue. Yeah. Um, so for me, I um, you can just call it what it is. It's boob oil. Boob oil. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like That's... the good under boob oil. Oh man, <laughs> really the visuals. Me. The visuals. What you guys don't enjoy that? Uh, <laughs> that'll be for next time. Okay. Um, so when you're there, three men in a basement after dark. When yeah. you're when you're there in. in in the countryside of France, you just find this peasant lady, and you just got some sweet under boob oil there. Oh, she takes okay. you back for okay. I, bread and I actually have a movie that's like relevant to this, and we're gonna watch it soon. So I can't wait. Sorry, oh god. Okay, so okay. enough enough banter. Let's get to the meat. Okay, let's get to the brie and wine of this. What I appreciated most about this movie was after the movie was done, and I was reflecting on it, and it wasn't even so much. I don't know. I mean, how do you judge a movie? Um, in the past, I've judged it just how much I enjoyed it. I I think I'm going to give this a seven point two. I don't know. We'll we'll be we'll be crude about it. Boob oil. <laughs> you know, that's that's not where I was going. But sure, we'll do we'll, we'll call it that. Seven point two boob oils. 
Hey, um, at least you didn't go with like seven point two burning torches out a stick. I was a little, I was a little worried somebody was gonna go with with the, I was tempted uh, with the stakes. I was yeah. very tempted. I uh, also to call a bundle of sticks something that's not PC this oh, day and age. Go. Yeah, <laughs> but we're there. We're there. We, we, we've made we've yeah. made it there. As a movie, it's not. Again, I got issues with the pacing. Mm-hmm. I've got I got a few other issues, but I really liked the conversation that was pulled out from it. I really liked, mm-hmm. you know, the I don't know the, the dissection of it. Um, but that's 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 me projecting onto it. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna stick with that seven point two. Right on. So uh, anything definitely else? All over the fifty percent mark. Yeah, like we were saying. Oh yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely over the fifty percent. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance to see this movie. Um, I agree with Tim. You can probably find it for free mm-hmm. at a library. Um, at least, at least watch it. Actually, it's probably something that's probably on a streaming service for free like as well. Like Voodoo or Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know, Amazon. Anything it else? be a hard find. Anything else before we uh, wrap things up? No, this was a good one, though. All right. Uh, well, thanks, listeners. Uh, that's all for the Ulcrep review. Uh, thank you for listening again. And if you have any ideas for movie reviews, email us at uh, three. That's the number three. Men in a basement at gmail.com. Until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark Culp here. Timothy Magic, signing out. All right, see you in cyberspace. Viva la Francais. La femme. (laughs) La femme power. (laughs) 